I feel like I needed to make drastic decisions to get me in these rooms with people and other people weren't making these decisions, which is why they weren't in these rooms. So I'm like, okay, I think th this is naturally what needs to happen. If you see something, like why are you beating yourself up when your goal is right here and you're trying to like deviate, no, go towards it. Yeah, it's gonna suck dropping out of college. And that's a conversation that I was dreading with like my mom. But then I was like, mom, like at this point, I've already told my dad to pretty much retire and you retire. That's how much money I was making. And you still want me to finish school? No, it's just a lot of pressure on me. I can't do it right now. I'll eventually go back. But it was more so, you just gotta move different, I guess, to be in these rooms. That's just my perspective looking back. Mi gente was good. Dímelo, dímelo. Welcome to another episode of the Can Do It As podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know, it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. As a reminder on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism because it feels like we've been trained our entire lives to believe that who we are authentically is unprofessional and inappropriate for the workplace. That's not true, though. We're here to help you unlearn that so that you can be your most authentic self at work. Each week, we have a different guest join us for a very candid conversation around their experience between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest. Jomi is an independent artist, songwriter, and poet hailing from Northern California, specifically Oakland and Tracy. He burst onto the music scene in late 2017 with the release of his mixtape Behind the Curtain. When thinking about his music, it's really a fusion of acid, hip-hop, jazz-inspired beats with socially conscious lyrics that offer a glimpse into the struggles faced by minorities. Jomi's Mexican heritage is even evident in his music as he sheds light on specific issues faced by marginalized communities. Aside from his musical talent, Jomi is also an entrepreneur, a co-founder slash owner of the indie label DLRLC. He even has an upcoming album that's set to launch in 2023 with a bunch of highly anticipated and rumored feature collaborations. So you're not going to want to miss this. To get a full description of Jomi's bio, please be sure to check out the show notes of this week's episode. Now that you have a little bit more context into who Jomi is, let's get into this dope conversation. All right, cool. So yeah. let's kick it off how we always do with the word authenticity. It's such a buzzword. Okay. I feel like any industry talks about it, but when you hear the word, what does it mean to you? I believe that authenticity is, in my opinion, I feel like when something is authentic or the word authenticity, I believe that it's just something very real, very genuine. There aren't any, you can't fake authentic. It's like quality at the end of the day. So when something is authentic and something is your, just anything has authenticity to it, I believe that is just something very genuine. And I guess in summary, something very unique that you can't really fake. Either it is or it isn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, in that definition, do you think it was easy for you to be authentic growing up? I think so, yeah, because I always lived my truths. I never wanted to be somebody that I wasn't. And I feel like I was just stuck to being me. And I feel like there, you're always going to be authentic if, you know, you're true to yourself and you accept all your flaws. You, you accept any blemish that you may have. You accept any 
wrongs that you have done, you own up to it. And as long as you're not trying to deviate from yourself, I feel like you, I mean, personally me, I didn't have an issue being feeling authentic when I was growing up. Well, tell me about where you grew up. Who yeah, grew I grew up, up in, I grew up in East Oakland in the Bay Area in California. I grew up in a very, for lack of better terms, a messed up neighborhood. And I grew up in a house where we had my mom, my dad, my two younger brothers, my aunt, my uncle, and my three cousins in a two bedroom, right? So my parents had one room, my aunt and uncle had the other room, and then the cousins, which I see them as my brothers, they are my cousins, but like I'm telling you now, we, we grew up, so they're my brothers even. I consider them my brothers, I don't call them cousins. They were in the living room with a like extended couch. And then me and my little brother, my dad, <laughs> he kind of modified like in a bathroom, took the tub out and me and my brother would sleep in there. So that, that it, it, but I didn't see it as rough at the time because I felt like they gave us everything that we needed. And I didn't really look at material things like that. Yeah, I would question it as of dang, like, why am I seeing all these things on the TV? And I don't have any of that stuff. Growing up, it was it was very fun. We always found ways to entertain ourselves, and I think it was very humbling because you kind of see reality through a different perspective. And then you grow up, and you're like, "Damn, I don't want my kids going through this shit." But I'm glad that build some character for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. It does build character, yeah. in it. and it's almost yeah. like things you deal with these days because we all deal with stuff. It's man, it ain't as bad as what it was before. Yeah. Oh hell no. Yeah. You did say that the neighborhood was messed up, right? Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you remember seeing. Man, well, first of all, picture this, a block, you know, just a regular neighborhood block. But this one was unique in the way that the way that I guess the freeway was designed and the way the train, the train tracks were designed, we were sandwiched in. So... On one side, you have a train track, and it was only from our house, literally, I don't know, 200 feet away. Like, it's right there, right? Wow. So right off the bat, our parents, mind you, you, there's a whole bunch of little kids, teenagers running around. They're tripping out. Hey, don't go over there when the train comes because you could get hit. And then on the other end, you have a freeway. So it was very noisy. So just, that's, that's just a little background, right? So it was... Some of the stories to answer your question is it was messed up in the way that uh, we saw a lot of, uh, mind you, this is East Oakland in the early 90s. So it's a lot of uh, crack going around. So there's uh, syringes everywhere on the ground. There's condoms everywhere just thrown out. There's a lot of garbage. Uh, there's a lot of poverty and a lot of crack addiction. So you have a lot of people trying to, there's a lot of homelessness right by the train tracks. And some people, when they used to go crazy, they, they would want to kill themselves. So there was a couple instances where, and it sucks to say it out loud, but we did witness some some deaths like that where, you know, as a kid, you don't know, you don't understand what you're seeing. But definitely I remember one time me and my little brothers and my cousins were just walking to school and there's a big old, like, just blood everywhere. And for, I'll save you the details, but yeah, some somebody got hit by the train for for whatever reason it was but obviously there was drugs involved and mind you just going to school this is the first thing you see it's kind of it's it was tough just being there but like we were saying earlier kind of does build character so 
I don't take that for granted. But those are just some instances. So just picture a lot of poverty and everything that comes along with it, with addictiveness, people selling stuff, just people roaming around freely. I would see naked dudes just trying to, they were on something, right? And they would just take their clothes. It was just some wild shit. We live in the very, and mind you, my parents were immigrants, so that's what they could afford at the time. And it explains why it would be in an area like that. That's what they could afford. Yeah. At the time. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. It's not like I was house shopping. It was like, right. Oh, this well, one's let me, perfect. Yeah. Right on the hill over there. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. No, of course. I mean, most times, like, we're boxed out and really just thankful to even have a place to stay. Right. But, right. Yeah. I think like many people in some of those living situations, we always think about like, all right, what's my ticket out of here? Right. Right. And sometimes it's to come back and provide other times it's to literally just get out and take people with you. But in your mind, like what sort of representation did you see for, Oh, that, that person is doing like a career that I'm into or like early ideas of career. What did you think about? To be honest with you, I think it was all in my my mom and my, my dad, my parents, everybody that was around, they would just say, hey, honestly, this is not normal. Obviously, they would say it in their own way. They would say something along the lines like, hey, I know we're not in the best situation, but that's why the best thing they could think of at the time was like, and I don't mind that I'm not saying they were ignorant, but they came to this country to give their kids a better life. So they would always engrave and into us be like, hey, this is not normal, but just know that you got to stay in school. And that's your way out. You know what I'm saying? So that's what they engraved. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you got to stay in school. You got to stay in school. You know, everything. You got to go to university. You got to go to the university. It kind of just, I was almost subconsciously afraid to like let them down. So when I would go to school, I'm not going to lie to you. I got good. I was a good student. I got good grades in school. I didn't struggle. I was, I'm blessed to be able to catch on really quick in the school setting. So it was never an issue for any of my parents, for me and my siblings, you know what I mean? Shout out to G Cardone. He's also my producer, another artist. He's my little brother. And we were both really good at school. And that's those are one of the things that kind of, you know, you just kind of subconsciously held on to. Damn, well, we got to do something to change, to change this whole situation. And I feel like one of those things, the starting step was them saying hey there's more than just this their best way of describing it was like school but obviously it gets deeper once you start meeting people you start going to school like hey well maybe school is not for me but i do understand that i gotta make life choices life decisions to secure a better life but that's where it started yeah Yeah, it's yeah oftentimes immigrant parents they don't necessarily have the blueprint for you're gonna go to high school and college and then after college you're gonna get this job they just no. have an idea of you're going to go to school and hopefully in school, you're going to figure some shit out. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, they can't help you with like FAFSA. They can't help you with all the paperwork. Yo. You got to figure that shit out. And, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe you went through the same thing. But I remember as a kid, my, my first language was Spanish. So they're like, you would get same. calls from insurances from other places and be like, hey, Orlando, come over here. I'm like, what? What do you want, mom? Hey, I was like, mom, like I'm fucking 10. I don't know. The f- <laughs> like, I, you know what I'm saying? I'll do my best. Obviously we always figured it out, but they're like, Hey, esta, pero yes, yes. I'm like, mom, like, I don't want to do that shit. And, but to your point, like you figure it out along the way. They just know that boom, you got to go to school and hopefully you learn everything. You learn the system so you can help us. You know what yeah. I mean? It, it so, forces you to, it forces you to grow up really quick. You grow really quick. Like you're the family accountant, lawyer, yeah, um, the, everything, bro. The, translator, the, everything, the, tech, bro. the technician for the computers. And, and, and to make it worse, 
I remember my pops knowing that at that point I had already mastered his unemployment and disability shit. The mm. times where he was laid off, mm-hmm. up to a point where he would call his homies, "Oh, my son knows how to do that shit." <laughs> so now you know what I'm saying. So now you got a whole line of people, and it was yeah, you definitely grow up quick because you find yourself doing taxes at ten. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it makes you smarter, I guess, at the end of the day. And I look at my life now. I'm not saying that I'm, I've made it to where I want to be. But it's definitely a complete 180. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's because of those experiences. Yeah, no, that I'm just imagining you at 10, like run, running businesses for the whole <laughs> block. That shit is hilarious. Right. That's, just, that's a really funny visual. But I believe you did end up going into higher education as well, like right before yeah, you started yeah. doing corporate. So when you were pursuing higher education, what sort of things did you gravitate towards? And you Because you start exploring things, talking to people. And you're like, oh, eventually... Shit, you know what? Engineering is cool or business is cool or yeah. journalism. What did you eventually go towards? So pretty much when I started, I went to Sacramento State right out of high school. And right off the bat, I knew that I needed to get a job. I was fortunate enough for Sacramento State to give me a scholarship, but it was only for two years, which was going to cover my dorm and food, right? And my books, but nothing leisurely, I guess, for lack of better terms. So I knew this shit was going to run out and I needed to get a job to be able to fucking do shit. You know what I'm saying? I'm not just going to be in my dorm room. So yeah. <laughs> I had a work study job like every year yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Similar. So I was <laughs> on shout out to this fraternity, my fraternity, Sigma Delta Alpha. I was kind of clueless going into college. I joined it because one of my best friends, older brother was like the president of the fraternity. And at that point I had no friends. It was a new city. Anyways, point being is I ended up joining a Hispanic fraternity, right? A Latino Mm -hmm. fraternity. And in that fraternity, I met a guy, his name was Juan, Juan Martinez. Shout out to Juan Martinez, wherever you are. And he worked maintenance at Sacramento state. Mm -hmm. And I was like, at that time he was like, Hey, right here at Sacramento state, like I'm one of the maintenance techs and they're hiring. If anybody wants to apply, just give me your information and I'll give it right to the fucking manager. And I was like, boom, I was the first one to give it to him. And sure enough, he got me an interview and two days they hired me. Right. As soon as I got at Sac state, well, sorry, when I, towards the end of my freshman year at Sac state, that's when it happened around December. So I started working maintenance in Sac state. Right. And naturally. I've always been the type to like take things apart and reconstruct them. My my mind, I guess, really likes puzzles. As a kid, I used to build little cards with all the little pieces, those little, yeah. the, the little shit like that. So that's dope. So when I, I accepted this maintenance job, they gave it to me. It was on campus, right? So I didn't have to drive anywhere. I would just walk right out of class to go to work. And they were so lenient up to a point where they know all the people that are working maintenance are students. So you 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 would already give them their your schedule ahead of time. So hey, I have class from X X X time to Z time, and then okay, I'll come in and work for one hour. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna come back. They're really cool about that. So when I was working maintenance, I met another dude, and at that time I was going to school for biology, right? Because I still love science, but I was a biology major right off starting off the bat. But I met this guy Robert, and he was like, hey, have you ever thought about construction management? or pretty much construction management or engineering. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I like it, but I don't know if that's my thing. But he's, oh, well, come to this meeting that I'm going to host and you can learn more about it. Long story short, I went, I ended up liking it a lot and I already had a maintenance background and construction maintenance kind of put me, put my resume up a little bit more apart from other people because I was a student working. 
but in maintenance. So I already understood the building mechanics and how right. to fix it. So right. I ended up going to it and I switched my major to pretty much construction management slash civil engineering with the minor in business. So that's where it started. It kind of, I didn't plan for it. It kind of just let it, I kind of just followed it. I just followed people that I like and that I appreciate and that I, that I trusted, you know what I mean? Cause I, I wouldn't blindly go into a situation without having a good feeling about it. So these people, I trust them and they showed me some things. I'm like, oh, okay, that's dope. So almost immediately I switched my major from biology to construction management, which was under the civil engineering department. And that bachelor's already came integrated with the minor in business. So it was a win-win. But what sold me was that he said it was a 99% job placement before you even graduated college. And I was like, fuck, well, I'm broke. And my parents are broke too. I mean, not to put it so bluntly, we didn't come up rich and I feel like this will help out my family. So I'm like, fuck it, I'll take it. And that's because I was looking more on the financial part of it. Like, all right, cool. I'm good at it. This is really good money. These people are already making almost like six figures right off the bat with no experience. I'm like, oh, fuck, well, shit. Yo, that's a- yeah. I, I was telling somebody, I forgot who, but I was like, broke people, when they go to college, like, we don't have the luxury of studying something that we, like, want to learn about. Like, we study shit that was going to help us get a job. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, going back to college, were there a lot of people that looked like you in those classes? No, not at all. That's why I joined that fraternity that I was telling you about, because it was a limited amount of Latino people in my college, at least from my experience in my year. And Definitely obviously in engineering too. Definitely. Oh yeah, for sure. It was, yeah, a lot of people definitely did not look like me, man. No. So no, no, it wasn't anything. And the people that were Hispanic, it was similar stories to me. Oh, I'm the first one from my family to ever go to college. And that's why I kind of joined that fraternity because a lot of these people that I met, they're like, oh shit, these people are just like me. Like a lot of these people, like their pa- their parents were like farm work or agriculture workers. And they used to live in like little sheds, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. in the fields. And they're like, oh shit, well, more power to you, bro. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. So what did it feel like going into some of these classes? Was it intimidating? Did you feel like imposter syndrome? Like give me some feelings that you felt. I'll tell you this. I was always confident in school. You know what I mean? Cause I don't know why, but I was just naturally I love school. I love learning new things. And from elementary school all the way up into high school, I was always in advanced classes. So the realm of education was not intimidating to me. And maybe it's just my ego. I don't know. But (laughs) the reason why I even even (laughs) considered Sacramento State is because I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do with my life. And it was the that school was the least GPA required to get into it. So I'm like, fuck, mm-hmm. I'll go to Sac State. I'm not going to stress out because I'm not, I figure if I go, the Sac State's not going to be hard at all because it's the least one. Because I got accepted to the, all the UCs that required a whole bunch of shit. But my dumbass was like, nah, fuck that. I don't know what to do. I'm just going to go in there and I'm just going to bullshit my way because it's the least GPA required to get into it. That was my attitude towards it. That's why I accepted it because at the time I wanted to be a pro skater. Anyways, that's not the point. <laughs> the issue, what I would, to answer your question is, I felt imposter syndrome once I was out of school, going into like the internship and the actual professional world. Because at that point, if I thought there was minimal amount of Hispanics in my classrooms, now imagine going into a, a whole meeting 
full of like CEOs of like big oil refineries and I'm the only Mexican dude in there with a whole bunch of old white dudes. That's when I felt imposter syndrome, like, fuck, I felt out of place, but I had to remind myself and being like, you know what, like, I don't, I'm here for a reason, you know what I'm saying? That's the way I looked at it, but that's when I felt, like you said, imposter syndrome, where I'm like, fuck, and, well, and, was everybody and, what, and was there a little bit more pressure in that environment, too, because depending on how you perform, like, it's going to impact the bag. Yeah. It's yeah, there was a lot of financially, pressure. right? Yeah, there was a lot of pressure in the sense that uh, when I worked my way up from an entrance of, all the way up to a manager, pretty much an engineering manager. And a lot of these people that I was managing, they're way older than me and they weren't Hispanic. So and I was always the youngest one. And mind you, being like because uh, I, I, I started working in the field as an engineer before I even got out of college as a 20 year old. And I quickly got worked my way up. So imagine like a 21, 22 year old kid bossing around older men. Obviously at first, they're not gonna like that, but eventually they respected me. But at first it was more so, who the fuck is this kid? And if I'm being real, the construction world, there's a lot of racism there. So that's at least here in California in the trade that I was dealing with i'm not going to say what trade it was but you'd be i guess dumb to think that there isn't so the pressure was more so just not fucking up because i'm already have to prove myself to these people so that's where that pressure came from for sure with that pressure did you feel the need to like show up a certain way for example like how you dress maybe how you do your hair the beard the tattoos like Yep. How did you feel Definitely. like, oh, shit, I got to cover some of these things up? Definitely. Like, what, did, um, what did that early swag look like <laughs> on some of those first jobs? Well, first of all, when you work in a refinery, you can't have no facial hair at all. Interesting. Uh, so I had a little baby face. And is that kind of like in the restaurant industry? Like you got to cover it up in case it falls somewhere? Like why is that? They say in the safety orientation is in case of an explosion or some chemical leak. You're able to make a full seal once you put like a respirator on. And if you have hair, it kind of jeopardizes your safety, right? But in my opinion, they do that shit because it's a fucking oil refinery and they have everywhere and they want to make sure that you don't do something crazy and start illegally fucking sparking shit around. I feel like it's more of a control thing. But they say it's like a full face. I don't know, though. I could be wrong, but they legally. Used to, they used to say that for NYPD as well, but yeah. they took it away. Yeah, for the same so, reason for if there's yeah. some sort of smoke. Or maybe it was firefighters. I don't remember. But they took the but they took it away, though, which means did they update the technology or is that all <laughs> bullshit? Well, they, they haven't taken it away yet in the refinery world. So I don't know, man. You also have to understand that at least the refineries here in California, they're like they're monopolies. So to put things in perspective, if something happens inside the refinery, let's just say a death, they control, they have, they literally have, con- well, they have, I don't want to say contracts, but they have agreements with the city that they control the media, like what comes out of there. That's how powerful they are. So you can't have a randomized reporter going in, oh, there was a death. No, these refineries control shit as far as, because they're little big cities. I don't know if you've ever seen a refinery, but bro, you can't, there's like a bus system inside of it. It's like a whole city in there. Wow. And 
they have so much control in there. So I don't know. It could be many things. They definitely haven't updated the whole facial hair thing. And you have to have a clean shave. You have to wear everything that's FR, which is fire retardant. In case of an explosion, you don't fucking burn. But we're being honest. If something explodes in the refinery, like you're fucked. You know what I you're mean? You're dead anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. What? But, so, yeah. Did you also have tattoos at that point? No. Well, I did. I had it in my chest, not on my arms. So to answer your question, what that swag looked like, baby face, everything shaven. I felt like I had to walk into a room and I never, I had, I had work friends and, and I knew people that I could trust. And the one person I ever hung out with outside of work was my friend Robert, who was also an immigrant from Hungary. So I think we, we didn't have anything to prove to each other, but we felt like we came from the same spot. He's the only person I ever hung out with outside of work. I helped him move. He invited me to fucking have beers. He was an older dude. He's a fucking genius, that guy. But to answer your question, the way I carried myself was more so I'm just here to work. I'm not here to make friends. I'm not going to give people my real personality because I don't want them to judge me off of that shit. I'm only here. If you're my boss, tell me what I have to do. I'll do it. I'll knock it out of the park, but you're not going to get the real me because I just didn't feel comfortable enough to, I didn't even go to any corp, any work parties, any holiday parties from work. I just, it wasn't me. I didn't want you to get into my personal life. Really? So th that's the way I carried myself. And I don't know why. I don't know if that's just like a trust issue thing, but I think it does have to do with the fact that, fuck, I, I worked my ass off to be here. There's nobody else like me here. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because they give off too much. And right off the bat, these white people are judging them. Oh, no, he's too gangster. Oh, no, he talks weird. Oh, no, he's all tatted up. So I kind of just stayed in my lane. I only did what I was supposed to do. I didn't say too much. I didn't say, I only said what was needed to say, not more, not less. And I did that for years. Yeah, I'm really curious, like, where that came from. And, for example, like, I remember, like, early on, my mom would tell me not to go to work events. She was like, don't be getting drinks with your coworkers. It's <laughs> a setup. There's this and that. There's that. Or sometimes people on the podcast said that they've tried to show a little bit, but they've received that sort of feedback, right? The yeah. judgment. And that forces them to close up a little bit. I'm wondering for you, what do you think it was where you felt the need to do that, to succeed? I think it was, I think, looking back at it now, subconsciously, it did have to do with the idea of there's not a lot of people that look like me out here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And all the people that are successful, they, at least that's what I thought at the time. I was like, these people, the people that are successful, they hang out with people that are successful and look at the way they move. They talk, Their conversations are way different. So I found myself really appreciating the conversations that these richer, older white people were having. And I felt like maybe I had to imitate that in some sort of way for them to respect me. And if mm -hmm. I right off the bat started talking like I'm talking to you right now with the way I speak, how I grew up, I'm from Oakland, slang or whatever, I don't think they would have given me the opportunity to make it to these meetings that they would normally give out to anybody because I, I, I'm going to tell you the truth right now. I ended up dropping out of college, so I never graduated because once they first offered me my, my first internship in engineering, right, before I even graduated, I was a sophomore in college, right? 
they offered me an internship. I, I worked my way up, up to a point where they were paying me as if I had my master's. And I was still trying to balance that and school. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. This doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? So I ended up dropping out because I fulfilled what I was supposed to go to college for. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Technically, I don't have a, a bachelor's degree, but I was already making more money than all my friends. Yeah. And even now, as a college dropout, obviously, experience is what has gotten me more, get it more up there. But it was a decision I had to make because it was just impossible to you're working 12, 13, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. You just can't go to school. I attempted mm -hmm. online, but it was still hard. So to answer your question, I feel like I needed to make drastic decisions to get me in these rooms with people and other people weren't making these decisions, which is why they weren't in these rooms. So I'm like, okay, I think th this is naturally what needs to happen. If you see something like, why are you beating yourself up when your goal is right here and you're trying to like deviate? No, go towards it. Yeah. It's going to suck dropping out of college. And that's a conversation that I was dreading with like my mom. But then I was like, mom, like at this point, I've already told my dad to pretty much retire and you retire. That's how much money I was making. And you still want me to finish school? No, it's just a lot of pressure on me. I can't do it right now. I'll eventually go back. But it was more so, you yeah. just got to move different, I guess, to be in these rooms. That's just my perspective looking back. No, I, I get it. Yeah. It's a story that it's a story that most people share. And it's something that a lot of people share around. Why do we fake it or simulate when we start working, especially? It's because, well, the representation that we're seeing is everyone faking it. And they're being successful faking it. So. Yeah shit if they're successful getting money let me do the same thing yeah. what i found is that eventually in in all these episodes 100, over 100 episodes everyone has said the same thing that they do that up into a point where they realize yo this is a lot of work yeah faking it they reach a point of like burnout or just like mm. they realize it's a waste of time and it's fascinating the person that you described earlier in your career compared to now mm -hmm. i wouldn't even recognize that person earlier yeah. so when was it for you when you started having like a mindset shift where you were just like, I'm going to start being a little bit more myself. I think it was when I realized that my, my experience and my work was speaking for itself. And when people would ask me for my opinion, you know what I mean? When it was yeah, yeah. a lot of these older people that have been in the industry for years and be like, Hey, what do you think? How should we fix that? What do you suggest? I'm like, Oh, well, <laughs> you were uh, like, what? Boom me what are you talking, to? Are you like talking to me <laughs> yeah yeah so and i, I kind of just started thinking I'm like fuck well why do i feel the need to kind of protect myself and not be myself so uh, yeah i think it was around that time so yeah when people started asking me for my opinion and i felt oh shit i'm here for like when i truly accepted that when i accepted my acknowledgments my when i felt proud of myself yeah. when yeah yeah and what was one of the first things that you started to to show because i think authenticity often comes in waves like we show a little bit and we're like oh shit how are people gonna react oh they're cool no one saying anything crazy all right i'm gonna show yeah. i'm gonna keep building on that and eventually you turn into who you are now so what was the first thing you started like showing people whether it's the way you speak or dress or um, anything yeah. I, I think what it was is that's hard because <laughs> i think it was a combination of multiple things yeah i think okay. the way you speak when people would ask you personal questions like, oh, like, 
where were you born? How was your like? I, I would I would offer a little bit more information. Or like, and, how was your weekend every Monday? Yeah, or, type or, or of what shit. you yeah. or yeah, or what you do or blah blah. blah you know what I'm saying? And then yeah, I think it, it was that kind of started off with me offering a little bit more information to these people. Oh yeah, this is what I did. Oh, th this is what I did growing up. Oh, this is where I come from. Oh, my parents live in Mexico. It's just oh shit. It just kind of it was little by little, and I didn't hold back. Well, I did hold back, but I just started offering a little bit more information, pretty much, to answer your question. What, how were you received? Were, was it uncomfortable at any point? No, because the people that I would offer this information to, I like, I had already trust, gained their trust, and they trusted mm -hmm. me. So like you, you filtered yeah, them out and yeah, being like, yeah, I trust exactly. these people, I'm going to do it with that. Exactly. It was already people that we were already busting jokes, like homie jokes, like inappropriate ass shit in the workspace, obviously off to the side. But yeah, it was already people that I was already felt comfortable with. And one of the first people that I really felt comfortable with, because it was this guy, Myron, he had a similar situation than me, but he grew up in Compton in LA. And picture this big ass tall dude, like he looks hell intimidating, but he was a fucking, he was a badass, bro. He wasn't an engineer, but he was an inspector, which may, they make even more money than engineers. And he was older than me and he kind of put me on and he talked the way that I did. Very mm -hmm. smart. And I already tell because him, both him and I were like minorities. He's black, I'm Mexican. And this fool was like very sharp, tall inspector. And I'm like, Myron, what the fuck? He showed me his check one day. I'm like, bro, like for real. And he, he told me that's when I got put on game on like, Oh no, you got to start your LC. You got to be 1099. You got to do this. You got to, he put me on. And mm -hmm. he was the first person that I kind of opened up to. And you know, this fool already had three houses in Utah and he was hella young. I'm like, damn, like, how'd you learn this shit? I was like, honestly, I used to be a bank teller and some guy came in and deposited his check every fucking month. And I asked him, Hey, what the fuck do you do? Oh, I'm an inspector. And that's when I started picking wow. his brain. And then he became an inspector yeah this fool yeah it's he, almost maybe myron was a little bit of the representation that you were looking for earlier in your yeah career. it was like oh shit yeah, yeah. if he could do it then i could do it yeah and yeah he came up just the way i did in compton and this fool was i mean we were the only minorities in night shift in the fucking refinery and we always stuck together all our tasks fortunately him and I had to work together. He, I had to go check some drawings. He needed to sign off on them. You know what I'm saying? He's the inspector. So we were always together up to a point where he even calls me to this day and be like, hey, bro, if you're looking for, because he has his own company. Hey, bro, if you need anything, I got you. You know, he, and this fool makes, uh, honestly, uh, he's a millionaire. You know what I mean? And he, yeah, that, that's exactly. I think that was a representation that you needed for sure, that I needed. Yeah to feel a little bit more comfortable because he didn't hold back. He talked out, he talked like this, you know what I'm saying? A big ass black yeah. dude just fucking, he didn't give a fuck. I'm like, man, why can't I be like him? Yeah. He didn't give a fuck. He had it under control. Hey, you know what's crazy? There's people that are looking at you these days probably, shit, if he, if Jomi could do it, I could do it, right? People are looking at yeah. you the same way you used to look at him. And that's yeah. the crazy part, right? It's like when you become this authentic person right. that you scared to be earlier on, like, we we become the representation for other people and give them permission. I'm curious, like, what when's the time where you think your authenticity was met with resistance? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think more so the times that I have felt some sort of resistance for being myself is just 
in the environments that you don't voluntarily go to. For example, let's say you're hanging out with friends and you don't know their friends and then you guys kind of go to a party or some shit or some event and there's like a crowd that you're not familiar with and you start doing some things or you start playing your music or whatever and it's who is this guy? I feel like, I think naturally I just don't put myself in situations where people will, I guess, push back on being me. I think I kind of just follow the energy of the people that I appreciate or their friends. So I can't say that something in particular stands out, but it's more so just being in situations where you don't have control because I've been discriminated against and it's not like I put myself in that situation, but it happened when I was being me. One time I was with one of my best friends, RJ, went to a bar in downtown Sacramento. It's like a, it's a German bar. And yeah, we were kind of the only like Hispanics there. We were celebrating my, my brother's birthday and we go to go get a drink. And then on the way there, we had to make a line, but there was like a table full of, it looked like some frat bros, some white frat bros, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they started making some comments. Like, obviously they had been drinking. He said something along the lines. Is, he called me like Miguel right off the bat. I was like, hey, Miguel, are you with your boyfriend? Are you getting him a drink? I'm like, what? I'm just going to forgive that. Like this fool is drunk, right? And then on the way back, he says something else to that effect, essentially calling me homosexual and that he just, he, and then he made up a name for me, called me like Francisco, the next, like just some fucked up ass shit. And then me and my boy RJ, we got hella mad. We go up there, we push him, right? And we're about to get in a fight because, you know, this was fucked up. And then right off the bat, security comes and kicks me out and kicks them out. I'm like, man, that's fucked up. Like, I didn't even do anything. And then they had to call security and I was, little things like that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but not, yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think that's the best way I can answer your question. Yeah, and the only reason I ask, too, is because sometimes, for example, like there was research that came out that said people of color in their performance reviews, instead mm -hmm. of it being based on our performance, oftentimes it's discussing our personalities. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, he's um, too loud or he's a nice guy or what, whatever it is, whatever like, he's it too is, nice, yeah. he's aggressive, he is yeah. too loud. Oh, his tone, he needs to tone it down. Yeah. Whereas, yo, I'm killing it, though. Did you see the numbers yeah. I'm putting up? So that's something that a lot of people say or, yeah, that's the only reason I was asking in case one of those kind of things happen to you. Yeah. No, n nothing in the work setting. I feel like everybody that I work with and the companies that I work with, like we all have an understanding and I'm neutral even to this day where I kind of still don't offer myself up as much as I should, mm -hmm. only to the people that I trust. I'm Myron. And I think that to me, that, that works for me because they don't have an excuse to be like, oh, he's too loud, he's too aggressive. Nah, I'm just here to work. And then off to the side, fuck you guys. I'll do my own thing after that. You know what I mean? Do you think your work has improved at all from starting to be a little bit more yourself? <clears throat> like in a work setting? or Yeah. Yeah, I feel like with, with the experience that I now carry, I feel that I, I know where to put my focus in and not stress out over certain situations where I kind of I kind of just... I kind of just float now. I know when to be stressed. I know when not to be stressed. I, I leave that shit at home or leave that shit at work. When I come home, I can stay there. I don't answer calls unless it's my my boss. If he was to call me at like fucking 3 a.m., that's the only time I would pick up. But apart from that, nah, I don't. I used to answer my phone calls. I used to be on my emails after work. Nah, I, I don't do that anymore. I just, 
because there was this one time and the story is fucked up, but I like telling it. There was this one guy I used to work with who he's the one that logged in the most hours for that company that I used to work with. He was a superintendent. He would always accept jobs on the weekends. He had a fat ass house, a fat ass mansion in the same neighborhood that like Steph Curry used to live in. He, a lot of money, nice ass cars, nice trucks, but he was always at work, right? He never got to enjoy it. He was on like his third marriage. And the day he retired, literally the day he was having his retirement party, he fucking died. So Uh... in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? I need to live life. I need to enjoy my time with the people that I love. Like, I don't, we can't take money when we die. Don't get me like, let's work our ass off to enjoy the fruits of our labor. But I think there needs to be a balance where you can still enjoy it and still strive for, put your energy and your passions and be good at your income, at what brings you income. You know what I mean? And then flip that on the backside. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a powerful story on the retirement party day. Bro, he was riding his quad. Where he was supposed Wow. Yeah. He was riding his quad. Next thing he's dead. Got a heart attack. One one of the things you mentioned is you're selective about who you start opening up to, right? Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of these conversations come up. What'd you do this weekend or what else are you working on? Blah blah. And you obviously do a lot outside of what you do from quote unquote nine to five. Like you have a whole mm. music career that that you're right. focusing on. How many people know about that? At work, usually I keep that off to my side, but there has been situations where somebody has noticed me at work. Hey, aren't you Jomi? And I kind of really? just, uh, yeah, it happened. <laughs> my manager, Jay, which you've been in contact with, it was a funny moment. Will you um, work with Jay? Like, no, no, no. He had a friend that that friend was married to a guy that worked with me. And they they playing my music or whatever and anyways i go to work and i didn't know about this story next thing you know this guy was like hey you're Jomi, right and i was like yeah i was like oh shit and then i, I didn't tell him to not tell anybody you know what i'm saying because i'm not gonna hey just don't tell because i'm not ashamed of it you know what i mean but there has been a couple other situations where somebody discovers my shoes like, oh shit so yeah it's kind of it's a weird thing when it happens but i don't freely tell people hey i also do this unless I trust mm. you and you're asking questions and I, I'll gladly tell you, you know what I mean? Well, some of them, some of those same fears probably come up, right? Because early on you yeah. said, I'm scared to be myself because who knows what they're going to think of me, right? right? And it's this weird balance between you want everyone to know about you and your music, yet you don't want people at work to know. Because then if people find out, you're like, oh, well, what are they going to think of me? Like all these sort of, and, and are am I going to get fired? Me? Are they going to yeah, treat me differently? Exactly. exactly. With, I'm proud of it. I'm never going to deny it if somebody says it out loud and whatever, but I'm not going to go out of my way to be like, oh, check my, sh- hey, listen to my new shit. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I want people to discover it rather than me, at least in the work setting than me telling them about it. You know what I mean? What are some of the fears that come up if someone were to find out or listen to music? I I wouldn't say there's an actual fear. I would just... Or maybe the stories uh, that you create in your head about what would happen. Yeah, maybe, maybe, I I guess because I'm a very private person and one, they obviously already know that I work right there. Mm -hmm. Two, now they know what I do 
as my passion and what I'm trying to eventually leave, you know, full time. So it's kind of like, it's more so saying, oh shit, well, why is he here? Is he just going to quit when, when that deal comes through? It's more so, are you using us? Are you using us to just fund your career and then fucking just bounce? Which is the truth. You know what I'm saying? Is That's that, to put it in perspective. Yeah. Like I make good money doing that shit, but I use that to catapult myself where I need to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, and it's funny cause I feel like every, everybody, I think this is just my opinion. I think most people, that have jobs, they're using it to fund their lifestyle outside of work anyway, whether you're yeah. in sales and advertising an engineer, yeah. a doctor, like most yeah. people don't really love their jobs. They're using it to fund what they really love outside of work. Exactly. Like, exactly. Why, if everyone has that mindset, then like, why isn't it, why is it so bad to talk about it like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know, man. I'm going to have to think about that one because that's a good point. Yeah. We're here because we have to. Because yeah. we have to pay for the, the mortgage. We have to pay for our fucking house, our gas. But you're right. right. Like, you're still going to put that shit where your passion is, no matter what. You're and right. It's not like you're going to do it, bad at your job. You're still going to do yeah. well at your job. I'm just using yeah. this shit for something else. That's it. Yeah. No, yeah. I, but I feel like, I don't know, I, as an artist, maybe it's a little bit different because then you go on and listen to the actual lyrics of the music. And then they, you, it's like a, you're an open diary. You're allowing them to come in a little bit further because I'm over here talking about introspective thoughts about whatever it may be, fucking drugs. I'm just as a, an idea, as just a, you're talking about things that are in depth, that are personal to you. And I would rather you not know me and listen to my music than to kind of see me hey bro and i don't know maybe it's just me it's just a weird thing because i don't want to give off too much i want to just yeah. give you what, what you know my art my creation and then you live with it and not having access to me and being like hey so when you said this let's have a conversation about it at work you know what i'm saying i don't you know what i'm saying yeah mi gente that wraps up another episode of the quintueras podcast if you enjoyed what you heard do us a favor share comment Tell a friend to tell a friend. And if there's option to leave a rating and a review, please do so. Because it's going to help us in the algorithms to ensure that these experiences get heard by as many people as possible. That's the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Through sharing our experiences. Thank you. See you next time.